And when you see Romans chapter 16, verses 1 to 16, I hope that you will have much mercy upon me in teaching this passage. Uh, It is Paul's greeting, and he greets 26 people, and that is all he does. He lists 26 names and says, greetings to all of you, and that's it. So my job today is to teach you for 45 minutes about this greeting. (laughs) So grant me much mercy. I I pulled the short stick on this one, probably in Romans. (laughs) Thank you, Session, for for choosing me for this difficult task. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to read the the first verse, and we're going to go, we're just going to go slowly through it and and see what we can learn. There's actually some very interesting uh, arguments that are pulled from this seemingly boring passage. Uh, So we'll we'll get into those. But first, let's read the the first verse. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kencray, I believe is how you may say that. There's going to be a lot of uh, names and words in here that are difficult to pronounce, so bear with me. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So here we see that Paul has come to the end of Romans and he commends his sister Phoebe. And he's going to greet many of the saints there in Rome. And the, the, the first question there for us, why does Paul greet so many people here at the end of his letter? Why does he, he take the time at the end of his letter to greet 26 or 27 people here? Well, one good reason pointed out by commentators is that he's never actually been to Rome, and he did not plant the church in Rome. He had never been there. And so he needed to establish with them some common ground. I'm, I'm writing you this, this great letter, what we would consider now uh, Romans and its teachings on the justification by faith alone doctrine to be one of the most important letters that Paul ever wrote. And he wrote it to a church that, to which he'd never been. And so he was trying to establish some common ground with these people and say, hey, like, I know a lot of you. I know some of the, the, the names among you that you know and look up to, and uh, you can take what I say and, and trust me, because they have trusted me. So he's trying to establish common ground, and he knew some of them because the emperor, uh, the Roman emperor Claudius, had expelled the Jews in AD 48 or 49. And so there had been movements around as Paul moved around in his missionary journeys. He had met most of these people at some point, not necessarily in Rome. And, you know, there was a a habit in that time that the Jews especially had a a migratory habit that they would move around from place to place. And some of these uh, people moved with him and traveled with him, as we'll see. So that gives us a little background information as we get into this greeting. And the first person that he writes about is Phoebe, his sister Phoebe, a sister in the Lord. And she is commended. And so we see that she was probably the one entrusted with delivering the letter to the Romans. She was probably the one that traveled to bring this letter to Rome. Um, Her pagan name suggests that she was a freed woman. Phoebe was probably a slave at one time, and she had been freed. Uh, And her name uh, was not changed to be something more Christian, but a lot of times that they would just keep the pagan name that they had. she is called uh, diakonos of the church at Kenkrae, which is very interesting. That word is, is the Greek word for deacon that we see used in the New Testament. But it's also translated as servant, okay? So just hold on to that. We'll come back to it. 
there's a debate about whether this uh, was an official position of a deacon or servant, or was it just an act of general service? And she may also have been a wealthy patron. So Phoebe, though she was a freed woman, had been probably a slave at some point, the text seems to indicate and commentators say that she, she must have most likely been a woman of means because it talks about uh, the language of her being a patron, which would have meant that she could have sponsored and had the money to help missionaries or other Christians to, to be traveling or brought different places and have the money they need to survive, that she was some sort of, of patron and may have been a, a wealthy woman, as well as the fact that in, in this time in history, women did not travel alone. And Paul would have commended, most likely, if anyone was traveling with her, he would have commended them as well, not just Phoebe. But the commendation is only to Phoebe, is what commentators note. And so most likely what they would say is that she probably had a retinue of servants traveling with her um, that would not have been commended. And if she was able to travel as a, a woman alone with a bunch of servants, that indicates probably wealth. Um, so she probably had some sort of means, which was not normal for the Christian church at this time, that most, most of the people in the church were, were not wealthy. So Phoebe is the first person that he speaks of. And then he moves on to Prissa and Aquila, or Priscilla and Aquila. So in verse uh, 3, he says, Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So Prissa and Aquila were a famous Christian couple, probably the most famous Christian couple in the New Testament. Because as you see there, uh, listed out in Acts and Romans and Timothy, Acts again and 1 Corinthians, they are mentioned a lot in the New Testament. Prissa and Aquila or Priscilla and Aquila. Um, it's interesting that every time Luke mentions her, he uses the name Priscilla, but Paul likes to use the name Prissa. And so they are, are just different um, ways of, of the same name. Uh, I, I liken it to a, a Jonathan and a John, or a Dave and a David. Some people call you one, some people call, the, call you the other. Um, so she and her husband, it seems, were very active in the church at this time. Uh, number three under B, that's a, a typo. I'm, it should say Aquila, not Andronicus. We'll get to Andronicus later, but this, it should say Aquila, so you can mark that out. Aquila, her husband, was a tent maker. He, he made tents just like Paul. If you remember, Paul was a tent maker by trade. And so that is how these two came to know each other, that Paul and Aquila had the same trade as tent makers and came to have a relationship together. And they also traveled from uh, Corinth to Ephesus. We see in Acts 18 that they were traveling companions in we're doing ministry together. Uh, this couple were well-versed in Christian theology. They were able to teach and instruct because it says in Acts 18 that they instructed Apollos more clearly in the faith uh, when he needed that. Um, they had a church in their house in more places than one. So there's, there's evidence that they, they did move around and they had different homes and they had churches in their homes that met. And they also are said to have risked their lives for Paul. Paul said that they risked their lives, and that this was well known among the Gentiles. So apparently those in churches around the area knew of the dangers that Priscilla and Aquila had experienced for the sake of ministry. 
So we're starting to get a sense of Rome and where Paul has been writing this letter and some of the people that he knows and has done ministry with. Um, this Christian couple was dear to him, and they had done much for, for ministry. And Paul is, as, as we're seeing, he's mentioning people from different strat- stratuses of life, male and female, uh, wealthy, as we've seen. We're going to see that there's also uh, slaves and freedmen as well that, that Paul is writing to. Uh, next, we see the name Eponidas, and it says... Uh, In verse 5, greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. So he was the first Asian convert. Um, The the first convert, or or the the way the, the text actually says is he was the first fruits. The first fruits, and Paul calls him beloved. Um, So we see another another, um, direction towards Asia in the ministry that's being being done. He also greets Mary, who is most likely Jewish, and there's no reason to think that this was the same Mary as the other Marys in the New Testament. There's really no, no basis to, to, to think that. Um, she is distinguished in her hard work for the church. So another woman who has been working hard in the church, which was interesting at this time of history for them to point out, for Paul to point out. And then we have Andronicus and Junia. Andronicus and Junia. Uh, Verse 7 says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So Paul identifies this this couple as having been Christians longer than he. Uh, He had become, I guess his his experience on on the road was about a year or two after the crucifixion. So they would have been Christians even prior to that, um, which is interesting. So the name Junia is feminine, but some translate it Junias with the S, which is masculine. So the Greek, this name, this name in the Greek can often be used either way, okay? So it's kind of like, you know, there's some names in English that you know men use that name and women use that name. Courtney, I had a friend named Courtney. That can be male or female, and you have to, you have to know the context. Uh, this seems to be one of those names that it, it could be used, male or female, at times. But uh, commentators note that it was most usually, most of the times that they find it, it's usually female. It tends towards being female. And a lot of commentators will say that that is the more likely reading, that this is uh, a feminine name, that it most likely was a husband and wife. Um, there's argument about that, so there's debate about that. Um, some fall on different sides of the fence. The patristic writers fall on the side of saying this was a female. So this would have been the early church fathers. Patristic is church fathers. So they fell on the side of, of her being a female. And he also mentions that they were kinsmen of his. And so the question is, well, does that mean that these are his actual blood relatives? There's a slight possibility, but most commentators will say it, it's more likely that he's talking about people that were fellow Jews. Because he used the word kinsman here for, for d- several different people he greets. And it's very unlikely that all of them would have been actual blood relatives. Most likely, they were fellow Jews, his kinsmen in, in the Jewish nature. So they are also called fellow prisoners. So we don't know where or when, but Paul was in prison a lot. <laughs> so it could have been a lot of different places. Who knows that they experienced some sort of suffering and imprisonment with Paul. 
And so they knew the suffering that comes with the gospel. And that, that somewhat gives some credibility to them, does it not? That they had suffered with Paul like that. So there's obviously debate in this text because the word apostolos is used in describing them. And in the Greek, of course, you have commentators falling on different sides. Uh, one way you could put it is that it says that, that this couple were outstanding among the apostles, which that kind of language would put them as one of the apostles, as being outstanding among them as one of them. So the question becomes, were Andronicus and Junia, a female, considered apostles? Another way that it can be translated is that they were well-known to the apostles, so that this was a couple who were just well-known because of their work and ministry to the apostles, not necessarily a apostle themselves. Um, and the Greek apostolos can be understood, as pointed out uh, by Dr. Mu, as a commissioned missionary. So it could simply mean that they were, they were missionaries, commissioned missionaries. And so our job is to <laughs> look at the evidence, wrestle with the text, see what uh, those before us much smarter have said, and come to some conclusions about what, what should we draw from this text about uh, what seems to be the, the topic is, is women in ministry and how official that position is. And there are churches and denominations that fall on different sides. And this chapter 16, uh, this, this text of greetings, is the proof text for a lot of those who would say that uh, women can hold official positions in the church. Um, that is where they will, they will get that, is from these texts. Um, and lastly, they, they were obviously Christians before Paul, as we mentioned. So let's, our discussion question is, what should we learn from Romans 16 about a woman's role in the church? What should we learn about a woman's role in the church? Um, we see some debate here about a woman uh, with a allusion to being some sort of deacon and also to some sort of apostle. And is the evidence here good enough to say that a woman can hold those positions in the church? What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. De yeah, interpreting scripture with scripture, yeah. Are there other texts that help to bolster this text?
Yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. 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 Which for Paul to have written like this at that time was very, um, it said a lot. It said a lot. He wasn't afraid to identify and say that we work together and it's such a good thing. Yeah. And to praise. Yeah, out of... Uh,
Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it, it, it's been made clear that in studying the scriptures, it's, it's, it's a bit of a far-fetched to tr- try to stretch out of one little text such a, such a strong argument from one text, when obviously it seems like Paul doesn't think necessarily that way in other texts. Um, so the question then is, well, obviously women are important to ministry, and Paul is encouraged by their work. And there may not, this may not be an official capacity. And so what do we say, what do we say, why, why, why would a woman be so essential for the ministry of the church but not hold official position? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead.
Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a really good conversation. Thank you for all of your, your input. Um, you saved me from having a boring lesson. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that we, we fall in a place that this text probably isn't, can't be used as a proof text. It definitely should be an encouragement to women. The women were important to the church, and Paul was proud to work with them and talk about them. Um, and that if we're, you know, if there's any desire to seek a title in using this passage, you're probably trying to squeeze too much out of it. And what's, you know, what's your goal in, in having that title anyway? Maybe that's a good question. And then, you know, you know, it's the way that God has, has created male and female. Man was made in the image of God and first, and that was just the way it was done by him and his uh, infinite wisdom. 
And it's not that a, a male is better than a female. Um, if God so wanted, he could have ordained otherwise. I, but this is the way that God has done it. And it's to bless and not to hurt or diminish anyone. Um, so good, I think that was a really good conversation. Thank you. Um, so I, I'll read there the quote from Moo, uh, Dr. Moo on this. He was a professor at Wheaton and probably the foremost uh, current theologian on Romans. He says, both Phoebe and Junia are clear examples of the prominence that women had in the early Christian church and its ministries. Neither example, however, can prove that women in the early church held positions that put them in authority over men. The debate about whether it is appropriate today for women to hold such roles cannot be settled on the basis of these texts. So he kind of just summarizes that well for us. So let's, let's move on to the rest of these names. Um, we have Ampliatus. He uh, had a common name often associated with the emperor's house, and he was probably a slave. Uh, we have Urbanus, who was also, that was probably a common slave name at the time. Uh, Stachys meant ear of grain. This is a rare name. It's not often found. And there's one occurrence found in the imperial household. So since there's only one occurrence found, it could have been actually him, maybe. Who knows? Maybe it was actually him in the imperial household. Uh, Apelles was a common Jewish name in Rome. The household of Aristobulus, we see that, that in history we know that he, Aristobulus was the grandson of Herod the Great. And upon his death, his slaves would have passed to the emperor, so those within his household would have gone on to be under the emperor, and they would have probably been a lot of Jews. So Paul is writing to, apparently this household at some point had become Christianized, or Christians had become part of that household, and they were uh, part of the church that Paul wrote to. Uh, Herodian was a Jew connected to Herod, and probably the, of the house of Aristobulus. Um, the, family, the family of Narcissus, uh, he was wealthy and powerful freedman under Emperor Claudius. He was put to death under Nero. And Narcissus was not of the character to be considered a Christian. So what we know of Narcissus himself and what his role was, was that he would not have been of the faith or of um, one who had been in the church, but it seems that his family was. So how the gospel had infiltrated places uh, very unlikely to have Christians I think is interesting to note from some of this. Now we find there's a Tryphena and Tryphosa, uh, two females. Uh, commentators conjecture they might have been sisters or even twins, just because of the way the names work together and they're named together, these two females. Uh, and the names mean delicate and luxurious. Uh, interesting names for two girls. And it's funny that Paul calls these girls named delicate and luxurious, he calls them hard workers. <laughs> I don't know if Paul meant to be ironic in, in pointing that out, but that's what we have. These two luxurious and uh, delicate names were hard workers for the gospel. Uh, Persis means Persian. Not much else uh, pulled from that. Rufus is a Latin and common slave name having to do with red. Uh, Paul mentions that Rufus's mother was like a mother to him. So apparently at some point in, in missions and in his journey that she had acted as a mother as well to him and had been very close to him. And then we have, uh, lastly, some, some lists of people, a syncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. This may have been a small house church in Rome that he was referencing. Uh, these are all names of slaves and freedmen. 
Uh, and also we have philologist Julia Nearest and his sister in Olympus and the saints with them. Possibly another house church. Not sure why else he would list the names all together. Commentators point out. So we see here uh, just a summary of these 27 persons, all some within royal households, a lot of them slaves, some of them wealthy, a lot of women, 10, 10 listed, over a third are women that Paul lists. Um, and so these are people that he had known and been in contact with, and he says, listen, I know all of these people. I am writing to you and greeting all of them, so you, the, the church in Rome, should receive this letter with a lot of trust and a lot of trust the authority I'm writing with. And these, you can talk to these people, and they know me. They, they, they've worked with me. They've been in prison with me. Uh, you have, we have rapport. Um, so I think that that helps us get an understanding as to why this long passage of greetings would happen at the end of Romans. So lastly, he says in verse 16, to wrap up this section, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss, and all the churches of Christ greet you. And this happens several times in Paul's letters, where he'll tell them to greet one another with a holy kiss. And that was a normal greeting of that time, uh, to greet one another with a holy kiss. What did that look like? I'm not sure. Were, were men just giving each other, you know, big old wet ones? I don't know. I, I hope not. I'm uncomfortable with that, as, as you probably are. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, but what, what do we pull out of this? What, what, was, what, what is Paul getting at when he says greet one another with a holy kiss? How should we interpret Paul's request to greet one another today? So what does this look like for us? We may not go around giving each other a holy kiss, uh, but what, what, is this, what do you think Paul's getting at here as he wraps up? What are your thoughts? Well put.
Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 Yep. I, that's very true. Uh, good points. And I, I admit myself, I, I tend to have a large personal bubble, and I. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm working on it. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's a good point that, you know, we are in a culture, John, that physical touch tends to be either, you know, the two extremes, it's either sexual or it's violent. And knowing how to have that just simple, loving, familial, you know, relationship is such a Christian, healthy thing that we can work towards. I would love to get into, we don't have time, I would love to get into how culture plays a role in this, in the church, how do you, you know, we could get into a long topic of, you know, what do you consider cultural and what's not, and how, you de- how do you define that, but today's not that day, so we will go ahead and close and be thankful for what we have learned. Father, we thank you that you have given us these examples in scripture, uh, these people that Paul wrote to. Pray that we might understand Romans more because of the simple greeting that is given that we might uh, love each other more, um, understand our roles and giftings, both male and female, and the respect that both have uh, from this text. pray that you would help us now to worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.